Thank you for joining uh, us on Uptime Logistics, powered by Cap Logistics. I'm your host today, Doug Draper. I'm with the Denver Transportation Club. And today's guest is Jake Kilgore. Jake is a uh, senior transportation manager at Miller Coors. So, Jake, thanks for being here today. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we want to talk a little bit about Coor, Miller Coors and the Uptime Logistics strategies. Everybody wants to make sure that they have a cold beer in their hand at any given time, and there's a lot to that that, uh, that we may not realize. So we're going to learn a little bit that process and, and some nuances and things that our audience may not uh, realize come into play. But we always like to learn a little bit about our guests, so uh, maybe if you want to spend a few minutes and uh, introduce kind of your background, how you got into this industry, that'd be a good start. Sure, glad to do it. So yeah, um, right out of college, I... Uh, I was just a general business degree coming out of the University of Kansas, and um, at one of the job fairs was C.H. Robinson recruiting individuals to come up to Chicago, to Chicago Central, and learn about brokerage and freight. Um, not knowing much about anything and not knowing what I wanted to do, I jumped on that opportunity, and that is where I cut my teeth on transportation overall. So I uh, worked for actually for American Backhaulers. I don't mm -hmm. know if, if anybody remembers that for about... Uh, about six months before C.H. Robinson purchased them um, and then had the opportunity to work with C.H. for two years in Chicago, um, working on both the carrier procurement side of things and the customer service side of things and um, really got to see how brokerage uh, worked and Transportation 101 worked and, you know, kind of put the whole thing yeah. together there. Cool. And then had an opportunity to interview with Coors Legacy in 2003. Uh, which would bring me home because I'm from Denver, Colorado. And so I interviewed for a logistics analyst position in Golden. And I got that role, brought me home to, to Colorado. And um, kind of slowly started to work my way up through the Coors. And uh, worked went from the truck desk, if you will, to the, the tracking, the tendering, the tracing, to um, a little bit more of a regional transportation manager model where I handled a brewery or two top-down strategy from carry selection to um, performance and everything that came with with that environment um, I actually had an opportunity at Coors to work in the warehousing space mm. so we have a we at the time we had a pretty extensive warehousing and DC model that I was able to uh, help manage stand up and and uh, see through um, I did have a brief stint where I actually left Miller Coors um, and I had an opportunity to go up to uh, Whiteway Foods in Broomfield, Colorado. That was in 2012, uh, where I got to manage the, the transportation group there. Um, and that was really a fun environment as well, as Whiteway was uh, growing leaps and bounds at the Absolutely. time. Absolutely, yeah. You may remember that. Of course. Some of the folks from up there. Um, and then ha I got a call from a senior director that had asked me to look at a position to come back to Miller Coors. It was kind of a newly created position. And it was a position titled the multimodal manager. So we'd kind of always had the um, coverage and oversight for the over-the-road space of transportation at Coors, but we had kind of neglected the uh, other opportunity modes such as intermodal, boxcar rail, you know, the ocean space, uh, some of the reverse logistics aspects. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed for that role and brought me back to, to Golden, which was great because I uh, love Coors and love Miller, the Miller Coors family. And... Um, then at, after that, I actually switched back over to the over-the-road space, so I'm managing the over-the-road side of the business for Miller Coors today. Nice. 
you've touched all aspects of it for sure. Yes, no doubt. Good deal. Well, I know you, you said two terms that uh, were, were interesting, legacy cores and then obviously Miller cores. And we'll get into a little bit about what the differences are. I think I, I know with the classic cores model that people sure. see would be legacy. But um, as it is stands today, Give us like a 30,000 foot overview of Miller Coors and how their logistics is structured, not only here in Colorado, but system-wide, because this isn't the only brewery in town anymore. That's know? right, that's right. For Miller Coors as it stands today, we have seven breweries uh, positioned around the country. I'll give you a quick run through. We have Irwindale, California. We have Golden, Colorado. We have Fort Worth, Texas. We have Albany, Georgia. We have Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We have Elkton, uh, Virginia, and Trenton, Ohio. Um, and so with those seven breweries, as you can imagine, um, our footprint is pretty much that 500 mile orbit or radius around each that the density, the volumes uh, we're, we're controlling happen. Uh, however, not every brewery brews everything in our portfolio. So we do have a fair amount of stock transfer orders and STOs that go between breweries uh, across the country, if you will, to fulfill other orders. So um, while Miller Coors has a fairly short length of haul on average, there's still a bunch of complexity when it comes to getting the right product in the right place right. to marry up with orders. Gotcha. And is all of that still um, managed centrally here in, in Golden? Oh, yeah. So good question. Um, yep. We have our the primary um, transportation logistics team is based in Golden. Um, we do have a couple regional transportation managers that would either be in Milwaukee or, or remote uh, closer to one of the breweries. Mm -hmm. But our nerve center load control group is based in Golden, Colorado, and that's where all tendering, tracking and tracing, order changes, carrier selection, all that is happening today, correct? Excellent. And how big is that department? How many folks are out there nowadays? Yeah, it's a pretty robust team when you talk about, you know, regional transportation managers, logistics analysts, um, load control managers, reverse logistics folks, right? So we probably have upwards of 25, 30 folks in the all-in group. Mm -hmm. supporting the uh, the volume we do. Yeah, interesting. Right? So Yeah, so um, we're going to kind of take the discussion a little bit in, in buckets, if you will, right? So we want to make sure each little bucket has uptime and, and make sure there's no downtime so we That's can right. keep the beer flowing. Amen. Uh, Our number one priority. Yeah, exactly. So let's kind of start first things first in the brewery itself. I know that... Uh, you know, things aren't aren't moving. It's a 24-hour operation, and uh, things never stop over there. So what type of challenges do you guys run into related to keeping that brewery up and running 24 hours a day? Sure. So, I mean, as you can imagine, we're a produc production-driven environment, um, and it is a busy place of 24-7 production of all the various SKUs we have. So you have 12-ounce cans, 16-ounce cans, 24-ounce cans. Then you switch over to bottles. Then you have keg production. So keeping all that in conjunction with a production schedule that is the most efficient is certainly a task for those folks. Um, so some inputs to that and key, you know, key ingredients, if you will, for lack of a better term, that are critical for production would be the brewing materials. Right? Are we keeping them in supply of the glass and cans? Um, do they have the the malt, the barley, the hops, the critical things they need for brewing, right? So is there enough supply of that? Is it there in time? Is it there for the right production of the right um, brands that we're making for the day? Um, so that's critical. Then, of course, the packaging materials, right? Because we have brewing, then you go right over into the packaging materials. So that's the corrugate, that's the cases, that's the the holders, all the, you know, the caps, all the critical things to uh, package the product. Mm -hmm. 
Is your team, in, I don't mean to cut you off, but is your team involved with that sourcing piece or are you more on the finished product side? You know, we're more on the finished product side, but we do control the glass and cans. Uh, and I can talk a little bit more about that later, but we have a joint venture with Ball and we do a lot of production there and Golden ourselves. So right. it's like in-house glass and uh, can production that we then supply our breweries with out of Golden. Gotcha. So we control those moves as well as that's critical for for the equation, as gotcha. you can imagine. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you got to keep the raw materials in there and then obviously the packaging to, to keep right. it filled up. So um, talk about parts, right? You got, uh, you're cranking your kegs and your and your 24 ounces cans and everything and all of a sudden the gear stop, right? And then there's right. uh, you know, spare parts management. That's a critical piece to, to maintaining uptime. Does your team get involved with any of that or is that more of a maintenance? We really talk don't. That's more of the maintenance crew, but I can tell you that's a robust robust team that's very, um, um, li lives with a sense of urgency, if you will, right? I mean, to your point, uh, we can't have any downtime. Uptime is everything. So if we can keep production moving and um, hitting our production schedules, we're going to be ahead of the game, which then translates all the way down to getting beer out to market, which right. is our number one objective. Yeah. So, you know, can we keep our, keep our distributors full, who then can keep retail full? That all is dependent on production happening as planned. And yeah. And potentially even running ahead of schedule where we can. Yeah, for sure. Is there a like a spare parts depot that you have on site in the in the valley over there where you have one of each in case something breaks? No question. I can't even I can't speak to all the details on that, but I can tell you they absolutely keep inventory of that, just like we would finish goods at a distributor, right? I mean, yeah, they need to have that outlet and be able to quickly plug and plug and play with uh, the new parts to uh, keep things rolling. Yeah, interesting. Well, that, that's kind of a, a good segue to talk about um, the legacy cores and you know, the Miller cores environment. Sure. And so kind of getting back into finished product and more in your in your wheelhouse. So talk about the differences between the two legacy cores that you and I knew about. And we grew up when smoking the bandit were driving a truckload across country and everything was made in golden. Right. Maybe talk a little bit about that uh, supply chain and then how things are different now in the Miller Coors environment and, and maybe some pros and cons of, of each. I know sure. that's a lot of questions, but uh, oh, yeah. we'll start. And, and just fun fact, so Coors, Coors Banquet, Coors Original, is still brewed and only brewed in Golden, Colorado. Oh, so that's interesting. really exciting, right? I mean, we're not we're not brewing that anywhere else. So if, you ha if you're having that in Boston, Massachusetts, it was brewed here in Golden, Colorado. Very cool. So that's very exciting. Um, anyway, as you can imagine, uh, Coors Legacy was just two breweries before the merger with Miller. So we had Golden, Colorado, and Shenandoah, Elkton, Virginia. Um, and so therefore, our length of haul was a lot longer because we were supplying the whole country from two locations. Mm -hmm. Kind of divided it in east and west, if you will, with Golden supplying the west and Shenandoah on the east. Uh, but again, it was it was long length of haul. It was costlier transportation. Um, it added a lot more complexity to fulfill distributor orders. Um, and therefore, we also had to keep a robust um, distribution center network, if you will, right? So to be in pockets of the country where we didn't have a brewery. At one point, Coors Legacy had 26 DCs around the network. Wow. That's where we, you know, they weren't a production facility. This is shipping them product, filling them up with inventory, and then kind of shipping locally from there uh, to the market. So we had 26 operating DCs at one point. Then along came 2008, 2009, and we merged with, with Miller, and they had, f uh, actually, they had six breweries at the time. We've, we've since closed one in Eden, North Carolina, so they had five, and now all of a sudden we're a seven-brewery network is Miller Coors. So our length of haul just went from around 1,200 miles down to almost five 550, hmm. right? So that was the one of the bigger benefits of the merger 
on top of merging two great portfolios, but uh, the length of haul and the transportation uh, synergies that came from that. Right. And so that's today. That's seven breweries today, like I mentioned earlier in the in the conversation. Um, and that's where we're managing both cans and bottles into and the finished goods out of. Right. And that's our footprint today. Oh, interesting. So here, this would be from the uh, the accounting perspective, right? Just from right there, it's like, wow, there must be a tremendous amount of cost savings in the, in the transportation side of the supply chain. Uh, was that realized? Were you able to really, really pull some down? That is correct. Is there any d data or numbers you could share with us? N you know, percentages or anything that really helped uh, impact? You know, other than that, you know, I can't, I can't tell you, over, you know, I can't tell you too much on spend and dollars. I can just tell you a little bit on the miles hauled, yeah. right, first of all. Um, and then just the fact that um, we were able to use a more, I guess we were used, able to use more variety of modes now too, right, because we had lanes that we didn't have before that allowed us to go intermodally and potentially look at boxcar rail and things like that. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, that was interesting. When everything was made here and, and in Shenandoah, I know reefer boxcars was, was sure. a big deal. And I would think if your circles, if you will, with seven breweries across the country, you're not going to need to put a whole lot of product in a, in a boxcar to get it 500 miles. So do you use the boxcars anymore at all, or is, is it, uh, how does that Yeah, so that's, that's a good point, kind of a little counterintuitive to what I just said. So when it was Coors Legacy, before mm -hmm. we actually did use a lot of boxcars, right? Because right? Yeah. we had the opportunity to go across the country and bulk, get that to a DC or a warehouse, and then break that out into the truckload and kind of hub and spoke that out to the market. Um, so when our length of haul did come down like that as part of that uh, Miller Coors um, integration, we actually had to back off a rail car a little bit in boxcar because we didn't have a lot of opportunities, as right. we will now, within our network. Yep. So it was more truckload than ever. Gotcha. But it did open up intermodal opportunities that we didn't know about before. Huh. Give me an example of that. So I guess in, when I hear intermodal, and I think some of our audience does as well, is intermodal is great for 500 plus because it's, you know, you can keep it on the rails, reduce cost. How would rail come into play if it was still... You know, a 500 you know, mile radius. We thought the same as well until we kind of opened that up for some of our IMCs and intermodal partners to look at. And there was, with our new footprint and with our new shipping lanes, there was a lot, even right around that 500 mile cusp, mm -hmm. that made sense in an intermodal space. It was just a density play at this point that now we had lanes that we weren't shipping in before that had that were intermodal capable, even if shorter haul. Gotcha. Is the transit that much longer? I'm thinking, you know, a guy in a truck... 500 miles, you can pretty much do that in a day, but then you have two or three touch points when you're dealing with, with intermodal. Did you see the transit time increase? Yeah, and that's part of what we'd have to plan for and build for and in, into our equation. Yeah, it's a couple days longer on average, um, but it's pretty consistent, right? I mean, the variable is really the dray on either end of, mm -hmm. a, of an intermodal um, lane. So if you can dial in the rail and the times and you can really partner with a good drayage company on either end, um, that the dollars make sense if if you're willing to uh, allow for another day or two of right transit. Yeah, have you seen? I, I know a lot of industries are using the rail to reduce costs, and there's only so many railroad tracks that are in existence. Um, did you find that uh, the rail was pretty cluttered, in the sense that there's a lot of traffic on the rail, and even though it's a, a finite 500 miles, have you seen a lot of traffic impact um, that segment of it? Yeah, and that's you know that's something we try to get ahead of. That's a good question, Doug. So I mean, when when the truck market tightens and you see a, a tightening in freight rates and uh, and availability in the over the road space, you'll see a lot of shippers flood toward the 
true boxcar rail if that's an option or the intermodal space right so we try to position ourselves in a way where we're we're on these intermodal lanes or boxcar lanes whether it's a good or a bad market right we have our percentage of the business running on those lanes we're not trying not to dip in and out of that very much and then losing our seat at the table if you will yeah if that makes sense so um yeah we'll see other shippers try to get in there and at that point they may not have availability or um the you know the rates go up from what they thought they would be and now they're more comparable to over the road so yeah it's an interesting dynamic we absolutely keep an eye on yeah yeah for sure I've, you know in in the conversations we've had in the past you think of ltl and um parcel shipping there's a base tariff and a discount when you get into over the road and 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 uh and some intermodal the market dictates the rate you know unless you sign a long-term contract uh, fruit season's coming up, so rates are probably going to increase, or the demand because of you know fuel increases. That uh, sure, it can really have a lot more volatility. Is my point. That's right. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Did you have uh, your carrier base on? Let's let's switch over to the truckload carriers, right? So you got 500 miles. Did you find that there's a lot more carriers that were interested in participating in those lane segments? So say you and I own a trucking company, you know, like uh, I'm not interested in going to Atlanta from Denver, but I'd be interested to go to Albuquerque and come back. Did you see more carriers have interest in that because of the shorter haul? Yeah, and one thing that I kind of forgot to mention in that transition from Coors Legacy to Miller Coors, when our length of haul took this dramatic step down, mm-hmm. uh, we were able to back off of shipping temp controlled. Right, because temp controlled for Coors Legacy was required because of the longer length of hauls. Okay. The longer time it'd be on the road, the potential dwell at the front or back end, right? Mm-hmm. But when we cut that in half and we put some better process and um, parameters in place, we were able to uh, get with quality and say, hey, can you test some of these and how we're shipping them on dry vans? And and is that still meeting the you know the requirements? and if so, that's going to unlock a whole bunch more capacity and availability for us in the dry van space. And that's exactly what happened. So it took a little while, but we got there shortly after the merger, mm-hmm. especially because Miller was shipping dry at the time. Right. They had some better controls. And um, so we adopted those, tweaked some things on our end. And now all of a sudden we have all these new lanes. We have the ability to use dry van. And so we had a bunch of new carriers come come into our purview like we hadn't before. So right. That's right. Interesting. So with the banquet beer here, you obviously... Uh, you're still using the temperature controlled, or have you gone away completely and just found uh, uh, modes to get it to the East Coast more quickly? That's right. So we've got we found ways to get it there faster, right? So on something like that, we probably wouldn't put it on a boxcar rail. Probably wouldn't use intermodal unless it's an expedited train of some sort. But we'd get it there via truckload faster. So. Gotcha. Right. So what situation would dictate? Do you use any refrigerated? Uh, transportation. Anymore? You know, if, if we're going to load kegs on a Friday and they're going to sit on the weekend, we try we try to quantify that, find carriers that can support us in that space, and we'll go that route. But other than that, we're almost all dry hmm. today. Interesting. Just 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 by tightening our controls and working with quality. Yeah. So have you found the reliability since you have a lot more options because you're not tied to a refer, you know, a cold chain type of uh, network? Have you found cost savings? Hey, there's a lot more people interested in playing with Coor, Miller Coors right now. Have you found cost savings just the fact from competition? Yeah, absolutely, right? So just more options, right? And so when we go to market, we do any type of bid event or if we're working with uh, 
with carriers, whether that be asset or broker, you know, we have options to work through now. Absolutely. Gotcha. gotcha. That's a, a, a good question that I wanted to touch on is asset carriers and, and the brokers and our audience is, is pretty educated. So we won't sure. go into explaining the difference between an asset and, and a broker, but um, how do you select one or the other in a specific lane? Is it lane specific? Like we, we know asset carriers are better into Arizona from here and, and how does all that work and how do you manage that? Yeah, so for us, we're, we're a drop uh, heavy shipper, right? Um, being production driven, we have a fair amount of volatility and changes that happen on the fly and therefore we need that drop um, capability, right? So we're about 75% drop, 25% live load and mm -hmm. that's network wide, Okay. right? And so we'll partner with a broker but as long as they can drop assets as well, right? Got it. And the, and the reason that re, the reason that's the case is that we want you know we want assets here the day before or the evening before the planned load date, so that so that that that's here. And in case something's hap happens, we can maybe slide in another shipment to um, fulfill the one that maybe moved or had a production issue. Right. Yeah. So we don't you know we don't really have we don't really have a set goal or what we, you know, how we want to be structured from a broker asset standpoint. Um, we just know that we're going to need folks that can help us drop and support that with drop equipment. Yeah, it's the equipment. That's it's managing right. uh, the equipment, not the broker or the carrier. That's right. Totally get and it. Listen, a lot of our brokers have stepped up and heard our, heard our, our needs and requirements there, and they found a way to drop with their underliers. So that's, that's an interesting new change I've seen develop over the last five, eight years where brokers can partner with carriers willing to drop. It's not all just live load anymore. Yeah, that's interesting. Is is there, uh, I know in the drayage uh, business, there's chassis pools, right? A group of people come together and own multiple chassis, so you can just throw boxcars on there. Uh, have you explored or any of your partners, carriers explored kind of a shared pool? So I show up and I'm not having to pull my own trailer because it's in a different, it's not repositioned correctly. Has that ever come up? Um, we, we really haven't gone down that route. It's been talked about and proposed, but we have we, we at this point haven't dipped our toe in that water just yet. Yeah. You but like, it's an interesting concept. Yeah. Be careful what you ask for. Kind of. Right? That's it's right. Probably a lot of unintended consequences. No that, doubt about it. That, that could come from there. So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, technology. All right. You have lots of moving parts. You got drop trailers here and everything else. What type of systems? Um, and, you know, I'm not like don't name them or anything like that. Sure. But talk about some of the technology that you guys use to make sure the supply chain is, is up and running. Yeah. So actually that's an opportunity for us to be perfectly honest with you. And I, I think anybody at, at in Miller course, transportation logistics would tell you um, we do pretty good with, with pretty limited or unsophisticated systems, if you will. Mm -hmm. So we don't have necessarily the best yard or management systems. Um, um, our TMS system is, okay we're trying to tweak that in a way that would be better for us and we're looking at other options potentially there as well um, so considering we do pretty well with what we have uh, but we could do better and uh, again we're looking at SaaS solutions we're looking at tracking and tracing opp opportunities that could bolt onto that and i think everybody knows about the, the folks that play in those spaces so sure. um, but uh, opportunity there to say the least yeah would you ever do something homegrown you know, I know that, uh, you know, I was just talking about uh, talking to somebody about Amazon, right? I mean, at their infancy, they said, are we going to outsource or insource? And obviously, we know that question. They decided sure. to insource everything because of their, their scope. But has uh, Miller Coors thought about doing something on their own platform or, 
or talk about that a little bit. Um, no, if we have, um, it's been a while because we're actually now going to market and saying, hey, let's let the experts help us. Let's do what we do best, really, which is brew beer, package beer, and ship beer. Right. But, you know, let's have other folks help us with the technology to, to get a lot of that done. So yeah. um, we, haven't, we haven't dipped our toe in that water either. Yeah, that's probably, probably a good thing. The one question I wanted to ask was um, kind of what are some opportunities out there on – technology side and, and uh, you know, some TMS and WMS systems that uh, that are uh, present at Miller Coors right now. Yeah, and like we talked a little bit about earlier, and I don't want to mention any names per se, but absolutely there's an opportunity for us in the TMS space, right, to um, to get the tools and the, um, the items we need just to be a really robust transportation team, when it, whether it has the latest and greatest on, you know, tendering waterfall capability broadcast tendering you know how we work with our allocation carriers how we go to the spot market right so we want the best of the best in that space and we're looking to see what's out there to make us the most nimble and and just in general to be the shipper of choice right you, you've heard that term before and you know we want to use a tms that's friendly um, we want to have a process that's friendly we want to have reporting that comes out of these tmss that's friendly um, and intuitive for both sides so so that's important to us um, the other piece would be, you know, for both our internally, but also for our customers would be the uh, tracking and tracing capability, right? So I know there's some outfits out there today that offer that that type of technology that can bolt onto a TMS. Mm -hmm. um, that's important to us, right? So our customers want to know where their product is and if it's going to be late and if it's going to be late, you know, how can we react? What can we do? What options do we have when we know about it in advance? Yeah. Um, yeah. So those, those things are critical to us. Yeah, we are going down those paths. Visibility is 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 key. That's a topic Critical. that's permeated through a lot of our conversations. And hey, I get it if there's bad news, but if you can tell me there's bad news or that's a right. delay, um, I can manage my uptime a that's little right. bit better, if you will. So I get it; things right. happen, but tell me what's going to happen so that's I can right. make better decisions. And it helps our uptime if we're able to um, kind of have that exception management so we're not searching through a lot of shipments and data and what have you to find the issues that we can come in and the issues are in front of our face and then we can re react on those issues versus uh spending time yeah so there were two show. yeah uh two things that you said i want to clarify I, a question i have and i want to clarify so we're talking about a tms which stands for transportation management system it. that's kind of the brains of of everything just so our audience understands but you made a comment about watershed or waterfall um a few minutes ago. Tell me what that is. I have no, I mean, I, Oh yeah. That's, it's a picture on a beer can. I know that, but I wasn't sure what you meant in that context. And a great one. No, <laughs> uh, just, you know, how we, uh, when a shipment comes through our system, how we either give that to a primary carrier or a backup carrier or a spot okay. carrier, or kind of broadcast that out for, um, anybody to take a crack at. So it's water falling through. However, we set that up. Right. Okay. Also by mode. So it's not just, Hey, go through all of our, um, allocation truckload carriers and backup truckload carriers you know what if we wanted to first tender to a truckload carrier but maybe next to a um, intermodal carrier that that would be interested so kind of jockeying between modes but also jockeying between our allocation and backup options gotcha so that's yeah no, that's a good that's a great it's a perfect analogy now that you now that you explain sure. it so and then let's talk you said allocation carriers again just so, so our audience now those would be carriers that you have a contracted rate for x dollars for x period of time between two lanes that's correct right so that's somebody that we said hey you're gonna own this this percentage of the lane or this volume on a lane for this time frame right so when it comes into our system that's being tendered to you and oh by the way we expect you to take that 
um, forecasted volume. So right, right. At the rate that you agreed upon, you, you may lose a few and right and, and and win a few. But I can understand how that's really important. Right. And so you know, one of the things, and we can we can probably touch on that here in a little bit if we get into carrier management. But I mean, you know, a big thing for us is expected to take volumes. What did we tell you the volume was going to be? And that's what we're going to hold you accountable to, right? Now it may do something else, right? Because we're our forecasting is never perfect, and um, stripper orders come in with some volatility, if you will, right? And the market's volatile at times. So if we tell you it's going to be 10 loads a week on this lane year-round, that's what we're going to hold you accountable to, mm-hmm. right? And if it comes in at 20, well, that's our problem. If you can if you can flex for us, great, we'd love it. But if if you can't, that's on us to solve. And that's where that waterfall would come into play. Like what's next in line if that primary allocation carrier can't take it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that that sets a good picture um, that you said shipper uh, friendly type of customer. You know, years ago when I was in in the industry, if you sat across from a uh, person you were speaking to negotiating and if the fist wasn't pounding and they weren't yelling at you for one reason or another, you, you were thinking what's going on. But in this day and age with driver shortages, capacity issues, it really behooves everybody to have a collaborative approach with how you manage vendors and it sounds like that's what Miller Coors does. Yeah, no doubt about it. Even, even when it comes to um, things like rate increases, you know, we talk, we partner with our carriers, you know, how, how often are you having those uh, or giving those to your drivers? What, what percentage are you passing on to your drivers, right? We want to know that as we have these things and try to solve for some of the problems you have that then help us, mm-hmm. how are you going about it? So that we're not just investing time or money into something that doesn't give us a, a return on on that investment right right so um, let's talk a little bit more about the, the carrier management right obviously you're talking about um, sitting down with uh, rate discussions and, and rate increases talk a little bit how you manage the vendors are you know quarterly business reviews are kind of a good buzzword or people just analyze metrics uh, strictly managed to a spreadsheet type of thing how does Miller Coors um, manage and hold their vendors accountable. Sure. Talk about some of those. So that that 80-20 rule, if you will, where the top 20 of our carriers represent 80% of our volume, mm-hmm. that stands true with us today. So our top 20 carriers get quarterly business reviews. Uh, and what, what that gives them and separates from the rest of the pack is that they get senior leadership visibility and FaceTime. They get insight to new product launches and, and potentially new volumes coming down the pike. Um, changes in the network, things that we're working on, a more, a more intimate um, conversation around the metrics and the performance, um, all the things that are important to us and where they're doing well, where they're failing, how do we get back on track. So they get those quarterly business reviews with the entire team and senior leaders. Um, so that's that's critical that we have that type of collaborative exchange like you were talking about earlier with our core guys. Yeah. And again, that's about, it's actually 22 carriers, but yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So the 22 of the core, how many, just kind of random question, how many total carriers are you guys yep, we in use your portfolio? Up, upwards of 150. So we have a lot of carriers, but we have some great middle, small size carriers that handle niche markets for us or niche lanes for us that do very well. They stay rate competitive and their service is impeccable. So we, we want to disrupt that because we support that size of a carrier as well. Yeah, that's good. Well, it's impressive that Miller Course has that approach to be collaborative because like I said, um, Visibility has been a, a theme through some of these uh, uh, interviews and discussions that we've had, uh, and a collaborative approach. I mean, you know, it's not 1980 more with somebody banging their fist and saying, you will do this or right. else. It's, uh, it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, and that's, you know, and I, I may touch on this again later, but if not, you know, 
it's important to us that our carriers share that we share similar values and culture and um you know honesty trustworthy we, we want to partner with somebody that has literally like you mentioned has the same values as us so and that's um, working together we're in this for the long haul this isn't a short term hey let's you make money or we take advantage of you this is how do we partner to this for the long haul because we'd love to partner with you for a long time yeah. and, and i think you'll see that with a lot of our carrier relationships yeah interesting um so that's a good segue into uh, another big topic that all industries are working on is is kind of workforce development um basically how do you find good people how do sure. you retain good people uh, and then how do you train those people? So uh, talk a little bit about how Coors uh, approaches that and kind of the people procurement, if you will, uh, as far as managing a very tough labor force right now, just because everybody, unemployment's very low, lots of options. You and yeah. I have spoken about that uh, on the side in, in some degree. And, and how do you keep them and retain them? Talk a little bit about the Miller Coors approach to that. Yeah, I wouldn't say we have any magic pill or approach to what we're doing. I mean, we're pretty mainstream in the sense that we're going to um, post a pretty thorough job description. We're going to try to match a candidate up. We're going to go through a robust interview process, really uh, explore their experience. Um, but what I think separates Miller Coors is probably more of uh, what comes innately with the company. So the culture, uh, the product, right? That, that's an easy one. So it's beer's fun. It should be fun, and we right. try to keep it fun. Um and when I say culture, uh, the work-life balance, right? And that a lot of companies preach that and haven't quite gotten there yet. And, you know, the parking lot's full at 6.30 on a Friday night, right? And, and that, hey, that's successful for some. But for us, it's it's important that uh, people come in, work hard, but also play hard and also get time with their families. And we really actually mean that. Um, we've done things like um, summer hours on Fridays, right? Hey, if, if you're done and things are ticked and tied and it's 2 o'clock on a Friday before you start your next project, let's call it. It'll be here again on Monday, right? Right. So so things like that help sell itself, and, and Miller Coors really does do a great job of, of work-life balance. Gotcha. And that permeates for the whole um, uh, company-wide, just not in the in the supply chain group that you manage. Everywhere I've seen, that that is uh, the same standard approach. That's, that's Absolutely. Yeah, that's terrific. So um, we talked a little bit about industry uh, trends uh, off air, and I know that's a big deal. Uh, trends not only with what's going on with, with Miller Coors, we'll talk about here in a second, but fuel, driver shortages, um, you know, automation and things of that nature. Talk a little bit about um, some of those uh, trends that are going on, and maybe we start with like fuel and driver shortages and, and how Miller Coors is responding to those trends in the industry. Yeah, and I'll start with the driver shortage because that's a hot one and, you know, one that has been around, um, continues to be around and seems to kind of ebb and flow with the severity of it. Uh, but in 18, it was really tough, right? Um, and so when we partnered, like you mentioned, collaboratively with our carriers on the approach for 2019, it was let's get together in a room face-to-face. -face. Let's talk about rates for 2019 and any rate increases that we're willing to give we want to know about who that's going to, how much of it's going to, what we're going to get in return, right? So um, we were glad to do it where it was needed, where we felt it made sense, and to the carriers that were meeting all the metrics and the KPIs to our standard. Uh, but we wanted to make sure that that pay increase was going to drivers, and huh. that we would in turn see that um, in capacity. And, and so far, yeah, sure, the market's a little bit softer here in 2019, but um, we felt like that, that approach 
of meeting back in November of 18, if you will, mm -hmm. um, paid dividends for us. Huh. And you truly, you would ask the carrier, like, okay, we'll, we'll uh, give you a, and I'm just using this as a number, 5% rate increase. You really want to know what percentage of that was going to the guy behind the sure, wheel? Sure, sure. Right, and when was the last time you gave a rate increase? Was it two months ago or was it 14 months ago? If it was 14 months ago, why'd you wait so long? And why are you coming to us now with such a big number when you know we should have done something incrementally over time to get them up to par and up to market? Yeah, interesting. And and uh, our carrier's pretty surprised that you, like, hey, why do you care about the 5% and where it's going? Are, is that... Uh, well, and, and then that's the start of the really open and honest and candid conversation relationship. So right out of the gate, we're, we're opening our books a little bit. You're opening your books a little bit. And let's, you know, if we're in this together, let's talk about this together. Yeah. So that, that, that right there will show them that we're, that we're wanting to talk that way and we can share a little bit on our end, what we're willing to get yeah. and why and all that. Yeah. And then, you know, the other piece that's important to us and, you know, hopefully it helps with the driver shortage is uh, driver appreciation. Um, we have educated our company more than ever on transportation in general, but specifically the driver shortage, right? Um, these guys are the last leg in our supply chain. They're the last thing our customer sees, right? They show up with our finished goods. And so we want solid partners, carriers. We want friendly drivers. We want happy drivers. We want happy carriers uh, representing our brands. Um, so driver appreciation is big for us. And it's not just during driver appreciation week, but every now and then we'll hand out bottles of water at the gates, check in, check out at our breweries, dog bones for their riding partners in the car, right? <laughs> things like that. You know, right. we're trying to get better with our facilities so they have a decent bathroom, things like that to use, right? Uh, we're trying to be better. Um, and this might be the most important, to be honest with you, with our turn times, right? We've, we've surveyed our carriers. We've surveyed uh, some of the drivers. And the response is, hey, all that's good, and we appreciate all the, you know, the amenities and what have you, but get me in and out of your facility so I can move on to my next revenue-generating load. Yeah. So that's a main focus for our for our brewery personnel, yeah. something we're really preaching. Yeah, I've heard the term, if the wheels ain't turning, I ain't earning, right? So you Love it. Yeah, you get stuck, and sure, hey, that's great, but yeah, oh my gosh, I'm going to Coors, and I'm going to be sitting there for two and a half hours. So. Don't want that reputation. Yeah, that's... Uh, that, that's impressive. And I, so we I ask our carriers, hey, so share any data you have or feedback, right? If a lot of these guys are using apps now, right? The Ubers of the world, the convoys, of the, all of them, they're using apps where drivers can give feedback on a location, both the pickup or the delivery. And so if it's on the pickup end, we're sharing that with our breweries. Hey, guys, you rank number four out of seven. You know, you're right in the middle of the pack, and it's because of your this, this, and this. Right. You know, they want to get better. They care about that. Yeah. Yeah. And vice versa on the on the receiving end with our distributors. Um, you know, hey, you're you're known for um, being unfriendly and or you you don't have a, an appointment tool that's easy to use. And so we thought we'd share that with you because you you might get better service if you, if these things work out. Yeah, yeah. The technology nowadays that can just give the like I said the visibility to that uh, instantaneously. Just like when you and I take an Uber, you know, the driver can rate us and we can rate the driver, and that dictates uh, you know activity and and behavior. So. Right. Uh, very interesting. So some of the other uh, trends that are coming in, we talked about um, the driver shortage. How do you guys manage fuel and the fluctuations there? Some, some customers are like, here's our fuel table and we want you to use ours. You have 150 carriers and probably 150 different approaches to how to look at fuel. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, that's a, that's a commodity. We hedge with our commodities group with internally Miller Coors. So um, I can't speak to all the details of that or share all the details on that, but uh, we definitely do some fuel hedging. Um, and then we, you know, we try to have a fair 
fuel program kind of based on the DOE or something, some type of national average that makes sense that's going to um, keep it competitive so carriers aren't then trying to build it into rates if it's not competitive type of thing. But I'll tell you, you know, and I'm sure a lot of folks have heard about breakthrough fuel. I, I see that as an industry trend. I'm not sure if we're going there, but I've seen a lot of shippers going to breakthrough fuel. Yeah, uh, explain that a little bit. I, I've heard the term before, but to be real honest with you, I'm not sure what that means. Yeah, so uh, breakthrough fuel is a, uh, it's a company, but it's also really a, a, pro, a, a way of managing fuel with, with carriers. So um, it's, it's actually passing on what you will actually pay on that route. So from Golden, Colorado to Fort Worth, Texas, right? They have all the data that says this is what you're going to pay on that lane, right? So for fuel, for fuel, right? If it, you, whether you stop here, 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 or there, this is the lane, and here's the here was the average rate on that lane, and we're going to pass that straight back onto the carrier, right? Type of thing. Again, I'm not sure if we're going there, but I'm seeing more and more shippers uh, go to the breakthrough fuel model where it's passing through what you're actually going to pay on that route versus here's our fuel program. Sometimes. It's good for you, carrier. Sometimes it's too low for you, carrier, and you're winning and losing, and that's just this, you know, you hope at the end of the year you're, you know, you're you're flush, but this will be actually what you're paying. And yeah. my understanding is that it takes some getting used to, but once you're once you're acclimated to it, it really makes sense that you're actually going to get paid, especially especially with some things happening out there today where, like, the fuel tax increases happen in California or some of that's happening in the Midwest now in Indiana, Illinois, right, where you have a fuel program in place and you don't want to deviate from that. So you can't really help with these tax increases that are happening mid-year. Well, breakthrough fuel and that type of model will pay you for what's actually happening in that region. Yeah. Well, that makes complete sense. Yeah, the more technology and visibility. So right. That's, it's, uh, fuel is fuel. Everybody has to pay for it. That's and, right. And to be able to... Um, it's a know, bit uncontrollable. It, yeah. I mean... Yeah. So, so don't... Uh, you peel the onion back where there's probably some some hidden costs like okay I know fuel's gonna 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 change so I'm gonna bump my rate to you by an extra five percent just because I don't know what's gonna happen breakthrough fuel just that's takes right. that away that's right so so uh, another industry trend is, is kind of the consumer trends right as far as what people are doing and and just like the Amazon effect people want instant uh, gratification and they want things immediately so as you see new types of products launching um, I think we talked about seltzers and, sure. and and ciders and different things out there that are that are um, beyond the traditional uh, beer. You have to react that people are buying that and how do you turn it on? And we need to make a lot more of this product and, and get it out to to the field. That would be kind of a an industry trend. Talk a little bit about how you guys deal with. Oh my gosh, this is a new hot yeah, uh, right. type of product and we're making as much as we can. But it's you know how do you deal with that? Right. I mean, we, we hope we're on the forefront of that and we're the pioneers of some of these trends yeah. and things, right? And we have been with things like Zima back in the day, right? We were the, it. almost ahead of its time. Great, right? Uh, Blue Moon, really the first real craft beer to come yeah. out in the early to mid-90s, right? Yeah, that that's ours. Um, so, but when we're not the pioneers, we're not on the front of it, yes, we have to react to market demands and consumer demands. So um, a big one, like you mentioned, with the seltzers where you've seen some We've seen White Claw or Truly. We came out with a, a great brand called Henry's Hard Sparkling. Mm -hmm. um, it's low calorie and it's it's the same level of alcohol as anybody else. So so we were maybe third to market there. So we were behind, but we're back in the game there, right? So we're not losing out. So if that's where the trends are going and that's where it's going to stay for a while, we're in that space. Hopefully we can um, 
beat out the other guys just based on our the product of our, or the quality of our product and the, our ability to get it to market. Right. So transportation plays plays a key role in making yeah. sure it's there for sales and it's there for the demand and it's there for the hot summer months and all that. Um, and then even who knew that we would be looking at um, things like wine, but we are right. So uh, we have a little segment of sparkling wine we're looking at here to keep up with the trends of millennials, which is wine and spirits. Yeah. Um, so we want to make sure we have a variety of options in our portfolio. Um, speed to market and keeping up with market demand is critical. Yeah. And I would assume that um, the, the, the water flow or the waterfall that you'd mentioned, that's going to dictate um, Zima super hot or the spikling, sparkling seltzers. And we only make that in Shenandoah Valley. So we need to hey, expedite this product to get it out to the West Coast. I mean, those are the, the real examples of. That's right. Uh, mode selection and right the type of carrier and mode selection we're going to use within our system so that's not just rate at that point that's also service levels and transit times things like we've we've talked about but mm. that's right interesting yeah i never would have thought about the wine piece of it but you're right people's palates are changing and and uh, yeah and, and spirits and wine are, are big big hitters now for sure yeah the beer industry in general is down we're not alone uh our, our friends in st louis um craft brewers you name it the beer segment is down mm. right there's a lot of great beers out there we have a ton of great beers in our portfolio um you know but for us as you know miller light coors light are our two flagship brands and those have to do well for us to do well and we're putting a lot behind those to make sure they do well mm -hmm. but back to what i was saying I'm, um yeah the, the the millennial trends and the millennial palette to your point has really trended toward wine and spirits yeah, interesting. So we're competing there. Yeah. Well, let, we just have a, a few more minutes, so maybe we talk about, uh, we always like to talk about the future, future trends, right? And and uh, always kind of set the stage of where do you see the, the, the supply chain approach or maybe some technologies that you'd like to see in place if we were sitting here five years from now, um, kind of how the network you think would look or some things that would... Um, uh, benefit the the consumer, which is ultimately the goal, is to get the product to the consumer as quickly and freshly as we can. Right, right. Uh, you know, it's it's tough to say because you hear about um, automated vehicles, um, which would then help the driver shortage, um, which would then help truckload capacity and availability. Most importantly, um, so it's it's tough to say what's going to really change the game um, in the future. But I think just technology in general, all the areas that we're we're starting to go down will help us just be more efficient and um, help our supply chain be a little bit more nimble and right. a little bit more lean, right? Uh, so we have a pretty bust, robust team, and um, we do a lot of things manual, and we're good at that. But what would it be like if we could have automation with some of these cool technology and tools where we could put some of these individuals on, pro on, on projects, on revenue-generating projects or something else, right, where they're not actually manually, you know, tendering, tracking and tracing and things like that. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. It's, it's, it's tough to say, but, you know, technology is certainly going to play a part of that. We want to make sure we're aware of it and playing in that space and at least, uh, you know, dipping our toe in some of those areas. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a tough question to ask because there's jobs out there that our kids will be um, using that don't even exist now, right? So it's like what technology is out there that's that may not even be around Right. Um, right now, but will be a significant right. player. So I can certainly understand that for right. sure. And so. where will the trends be going with just the consumer, right? Will it be more draft beer, so we need more kegs? And 
do we look at biodegradable kegs or the use of one-time kegs? Yeah, that's so know. funny you say that because I was uh, I was talking to a, a friend of mine. They're like, yeah, forget you know, it's a big piece of steel. Why do they need yeah. to just have it disposed of? Is, is that truly happening? Yeah, right. I mean, well, as you know, and I, we didn't really get to touch on it, but we have a whole, you know, kegs are our assets and mm-hmm. a returnable item. So we manage those closely as well, right, for now. Yeah. So that's our fleet. We manage that closely to make sure we keep up with trends and uh, the pallets and all that. We're, we're re- reusing all those. We're very green in that space. So, um, but who knows uh, where the market and consumer trends yeah. are going. Interesting. Well, we'll certainly have to have you back on because those trends will be reality before no we doubt. know it. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for joining us today on Uptime Logistics. Uh, it's powered by Cap Logistics, and you can find more information about the show in the description below. But don't forget to like us and subscribe to the channel. Please visit caplogistics.com today for all of your customized transportation solutions. Jake, you've been a phenomenal guest. I want to thank you. Thank you for having me. All righty. Take care. Take care.